Good evening, everyone, and good evening to those on the live stream. The first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. This is the word of the Lord. It was Jocelyn that I missed on the chat channel. Welcome, Jocelyn, and the Bradfords and the Brays. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will let Christ's teaching fall like rain. As Moses said to the people in the desert, may Christ's words descend like dew in the power of your Holy Spirit, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. Christ is my rock. Give us minds that are active, ears that hear your spirit speaking to us. Most of all, we pray for new hearts that are willing to hear you and obey you for Christ's sake. Amen. So this is the final in a series in the Sermon on the Mount. Next week we pick up the book of Job. First time in 10 years here at St. Philip's. For eight weeks we're going to sit with Job 
in order to get up again with Jesus Christ, who was risen from the dead. Amen? Today, as the final in the series on the Sermon on the Mount, a story that Jesus told, a metaphor to explore and apply to our lives. This metaphor is first simple. Two men built a house apiece, one on rock, one on sand. Both houses get a battering from a storm. Only one house stays standing. It goes without saying that only one of them was wise. The story is also profound. Don't let the simplicity of it fool you. It's a story that could save your life. It could turn it around. And it's not just the observation that foundations are important. We all know that. But it's who said it and what he meant when he said it and what it means for your what's next. When the sermon finished, the narrator in Matthew adds in verse 28, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. So he goes up a mountainside in chapter 5, verse 1, and like Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, like Moses, he delivers the word to his people, and like Moses, he comes down the mountain in chapter 8, verse 1, and it raises the question, what next? Lots of foolishness for Israel at the bottom of the mountain. If I can put it this way, lots of sandy foundations. The sermon is also interpretable. Every kid who hears this story gets it. As Tiffany read it to you a moment ago, you understood it. I want to be the wise one. I want my house to stand in the storm. So this evening, uh, there's an outline on page seven, uh, if you're taking notes, both of you. Um, four truths, two things to do and one saviour. Four truths, two things and one saviour. I've got good news for you. lady at 8.30 came out and said, that was heavy. I'm like, sorry, not sorry, right? These are not my words, but I do have good news. So four truths from uh, the metaphor. Uh, first truth, like God, you are a builder. Turns out we were all tradies in the kingdom of God. Verse 24, therefore anyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, literally does them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You are like, Jesus says, a builder of a house. Building, of course, is the activity of being with creativity and ingenuity and ability to gather and see a pile of raw materials and put them together in a way that makes sense and up in a way that's valuable. That's what humans do. God is a builder. Have you ever thought in such ways? I'll give an example. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, for every house is built by someone. Tick that box. But God is the builder of everything. 
He is indeed the builder of the world to come, life everlasting, if I can quote the creed. In Hebrews 11, verse 10, for Abraham was looking forward, he was disappointed, but he had a promise, so he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. God is building a kingdom, seek first his kingdom, Jesus says that in the sermon, he is building his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So like God, you're a builder. Now this is not a metaphor for some. Some of you are actually building a home. Um, less so here in the city, but you know, maybe you're building something somewhere, a real home, bricks and mortar. But most likely you're building something else. You're building a life. You're building a career. Or you're trying to build a strong family or, or some good friendships. Perhaps you're building character and it hurts. Maybe you're building memories. Perhaps you've got a gym membership. You're building muscles. Uh, you're building a reputation or a subculture. Politicians and others are trying to build perhaps a strong economy. The metaphor works right? then and now. Bishop Tom Wright, in his little book on Matthew, suggests that the context here is that Herod is building a house down the road. It's a temple. Uh, and, you know, it'll fall in 70 AD by the hand of the Romans. He believes that this text is Jesus saying to Israel, uh, then, don't be like Herod, uh, opposing God. Seek first his kingdom, build there. Be part of the building that will last. So he writes, there is a message here for all of us that if we build our lives in Jesus' teaching, then we'll be part of the house, right, the one house, that'll stand. But even Tom Wright hangs loose of such an interpretation. It's probably too neat, really. Uh, and so he has this challenge. What sort of houses are we building today? You're a builder. What sort of house are you building in our lives and in our churches? That's number one. Truth number two is... The common experience is not the building of a house. Well, it's that the common experience of all houses is the storm. Both houses get a battering. That is, there's no difference between the houses themselves, not described. You know, it's possible that one was small, one was large. But it's not here as if one house is built shoddily with cut corners and the other one is built carefully with bricks instead of straw, but this is not, not the three little pigs. The common experience of both houses is the storm, crystal clear. Of the first house, verse 25, the rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and of the second house in verse 27, the same construction in the English and in the Greek, the original language, it's the same construction both building houses, we don't, we don't get description on whether the houses were different or not, but we do get the same storm. The rain came, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house. It's exactly the same. So no matter what you experience in life, the storm will come. Is it the storm of trials or crises in, in this life? St. Augustine uh, made that claim 
1,600 years ago? Or is it the storm of God's future judgment, which would be picking up in language of the Old Testament, the storm of God's wrath swirling down? Jesus doesn't say whether it's crises or God's judgment. The sermon itself is about how you live your life, but the judgment of God is in the picture of the sermon. Some are in the kingdom of God, some aren't. Jesus talks about hell in chapter 5. But I believe that the fact that Jesus left it ambiguous, he left it unstated, probably means that your gut reaction is correct. One commentator said, perhaps one anticipates the other trials in this life towards the future judgment. So is it the storm of life, life's crises, the disappointments, the end of a relationship, a mental health funk, like a period of anxiety? We've got the same sort of language for this as Jesus does. You know, we'd say we're in a fog right now or I'm in a hurricane of pain, a wave of disappointment at work. I've got a, a maelstrom of activity. Is it the loss of a job, a miscarriage, the diagnosis of cancer, a marriage breakdown, unanswered prayer, a season of, of doubt? John Calvin wrote, true piety is not fully distinguished from its counterfeit until it comes to trial. People, of course, respond to these sort of situations differently, and uh, yet everyone has a storm, but they have different kinds of storms, different levels of pain. But I think the reason why Jesus described the storm in exactly the same way is that everyone suffers, and the, the, the house that you built then the foundation, I'll come to this in a moment, gets, gets, gets the test. Is the foundation strong? Is it rock? For some, a season of trial destroys them. Their faith comes crashing down. For others, it builds them up. They become more loving and more lovely. Just read Romans chapter 8 sometime, the back half of that chapter. Whenever anyone speaks about their suffering as though the result of that suffering was inevitable then listen, we're going to hear that from Job, but don't believe them. There isn't a clear link. I mean, someone says, look, the reason I gave up my faith is I lost my mother. You want to sit with that person, of course, not there to contradict, but lots of people lose people they love and they become stronger as a result. So it's not inevitable how a person ha is going to handle suffering. Job suffered and came out stronger, even if he came very close to the edge. We're going to learn that. But of course, Jesus is our Lord, and I don't have to tell you what he went through. And if it's about the judgment to come, then no matter what, we will all experience a moment. And my prayer is that the blood of Christ has covered you. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. The writer of Hebrews is confident about the judgment because of the blood shed of Christ on the cross. Amen.
Third truth, not all houses survive. Just because you build a life earnestly doesn't mean it will stand. Of the first house, rain came, streams rose, wind blew, yet the house did not fall. Of the second house, rain came, streams rose, wind blew, yet the house fell with a great crash, says Jesus. So will your house stand? It may not. These are Jesus' words, not mine. It may not stand. I take it that presumption before a storm is a dangerous thing in the same way that presumption before a holy God is a dangerous thing. And so your faith has to be wholehearted. This can't just be about polite, moral, Western nominalism. Ephesians 5 verse 15, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Or Mark 4, consider carefully how you hear. Or 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. So if you think you're standing firm, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Or in the old version, I like the old version, you know, sometimes it's poetry. Take heed lest you fall. Flippantly building is irresponsible. The fourth truth I think you learn is that the raw materials are not how the house survives. And I think this is a challenge to Western thinking. What's the difference between the two houses? Well, there's no difference explained in the houses. The one thing that's different is the foundation. That's it. And therefore, by the way, the heart of the builder, you know, in terms of choosing which foundation to build on, but the foundation is the difference between the two houses. Is it rock or is it sand? And every builder will tell you the most important part of the building is the foundation. I do wedding courses here and uh, there's always a tradie in the, in the, uh, or two in the course and I say this line every time, the most important part of the building is the, they all know it, it's the foundation. It's the, if I can put it this way, the least sexy part. It's not fun. It's the part in a house that no one notices. They'll notice your TV. They won't notice the foundation. It's the bit no one really cares about, but if you get it wrong, you don't have a house at the end of the storm. Everyone, of course, is building on some sort of foundation, some sort of moral code. What's interesting about this is that we tend to think that the raw materials are what matters, or maybe it's the right tools, I don't know, but you know, did you get the good job? Was the education correct? Did you develop the right skills? Did you have the right people around you? Did you come from a good family? Hard to organise, you know, once you're born, but you know. And I think in Western society, we tend to think that these are the things that count, but I think Jesus' words are magnificent, especially for people who are born in poverty. Now, this is not a reason to not work at making things equitable in society, but there's a bunch of people who are born into poverty that have got their houses on rock, and a stack of people born into wealth who've got their houses on sand. Any builder will tell you that you've got to get the foundation right. And so what is the foundation? Well, Jesus tells you what the foundation is. It's Hearing his word and doing his word. It's a twin response. 
not just hearing, but doing. And not just doing, by the way, for all you activists, without hearing his voice and yielding. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on rock, but the one, verse 26, who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Both here, only one does. I always want Jesus to say something different. I always want Jesus to say that his words alone are the rock, but he doesn't say it. I believe it, by the way. He is my rock. But Jesus says it's hearing and doing them. That's the foundation. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, which means you've got to find out what the commands are. And so this can't just be intellectual assent. It can't just be turning up and saying, I heard and understood. Hearing without doing and hearing with doing often look similar. People can look sort of, uh, sort of equally moral, but it's only down the track that you'll find out the difference. John Stott says in his commentary, it is a fundamental and fatal difference. Personally, I would prefer a small house on rock than a lavish one on sand. So first. Secondly, then, two things to do. Number one, hear. Number two, do. This is the perfect end of the sermon, and you'll get a chance to say your piece in just a moment's time. You need probably to go through the sermon and ask the question, have I heard at this point? Have I heard him say that? Have I truly heard, intentionally listened? And then do I want to do it? Will I do what Jesus says? You see, Jesus' words don't just inform, they also transform. And by the way, it could be that you decide today, I love what the 1662 Book of Common Prayer says in the communion service, when we invite people to take the bread and the wine, we say, any of you who intend to lead a new life, this day, intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God. And there'll be people up the back of this service who want to pray with you if today you intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God. What stops us? How about these things? One, laziness too hard to build a strong foundation, to go deep. Second, cynicism. There's no storm coming. Why put in the effort? Third, pride. No one will see the foundation anyway, and people only care about the outward show, which is true in an Instagram world. And so I want to ask you tonight, have you heard Jesus when he said in chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then have you done it? Have you sought to identify yourself among the meek who we find out will inherit the earth? (laughs) The ones who are hungry and thirsty for God, the kingdom of God is for those who long. In Isaiah the prophet, God says, these are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who are hurting on the inside and who tremble at my word. You heard him, but are you 
doing it, finding ways to come up against the holiness of God, to come up before his face, to come up before his word and tremble before him. So you don't have to be perfect. Just not recalcitrant, not defensive, and facing in the right direction and taking the first step. Some of you might be saying, well, how good is good enough? And if you didn't get a chance to listen last week to Bishop Rob Forsyth's sermon, then go to the podcasts and listen to his message and go to about the 15-minute mark and you can hear him answering that question. It's on the podcast. It's on the history of the 4pm live stream. Have you heard Jesus when he said in chapter 5, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a sister, angry with a brother, will be subject to judgment. Or later, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, which is such a, um, an admirable idea and yet really hard to do. But I take it, though, wisdom comes in the doing. And maybe that's why tradie is the right metaphor for being a Christian. Learning as you go, as an apprentice. You heard him, but are you doing it, settling matters as quickly as you can, but safely? Identifying when your heart is hardened and then turning that stoniness in your heart into prayer. Seeing those moments when you judge when you're quick to judge because you remember what jesus said when he said judge not lest you be judged right the whole point is to give you a moment of pause before you pile on a speck of dust in your brother's eye when there's a log in your own eye now again you don't have to be perfect just not recalcitrant not defensive facing in the right direction and taking the first step Remember in the sermon when you heard Jesus say, chapter 5, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, and you go, okay, I'm going to tick that box. Maybe some of you aren't, but you know, you, you tend to tick that box. But Jesus says, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a person lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart, Jesus says. You know, it's a bit like saying you've picked up the baseline sexual narrative in our culture. It must be consensual, must be with an adult. No power imbalances, no children. You've, you've got that in your mind? Good. My goodness, good, of course. Of course. My goodness, of course. But Jesus, of course, says much further. He says... I tell you, anyone who looks at a person lustfully, you heard it, are you doing it? Guarding your heart. You know, one thing will be that we stop defending that the thing we're, we're doing. Is there someone in your life that you're flirting with that you know you shouldn't be? Or perhaps you're dating and sleeping with that person without putting covenant around it. You know, without the, the, the strength of, of words that public words that commit you to each other. I can do something about that, by the way. I mean, if it was just biblical, we, I could do it tonight. And the government tells me I've got a month to wait. We can put covenant around your relationship. First, seek wisdom in that space, of course. People who have pornography issues, perhaps it's time to say, I need 
to get help instead of just feeling defeated or defensive. You don't have to be perfect. It might be a lifelong struggle. You just have to not be recalcitrant, defensive. You need to be facing in the right direction and taking the first step. Nurture your marriage. Keep your promises. Walk the extra mile. You want to follow Jesus? One thing I heard said at 4pm is that some of us need to dig up the foundation that we currently have and start building a new one, one on rock. Move the house, move it. It's called becoming a Christian. You want to follow Jesus? You have to look at where he's going. You have to look at where he's going and the answer is to the cross. In sacrificial love and obedience to his father, he did it to save me. Are you willing to hear and do? That's the foundation. You've heard... You heard him say, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. Well, are you doing these things, these acts of righteousness, praying and giving and fasting, but are you doing it knowing that the Father in heaven seeing is what really counts? You don't have to be perfect, just not recalcitrant, just not defensive, facing in the right direction and taking the first step. Money and possessions, you heard what Jesus says, you can't serve both God and mammon, and that's good news, because mammon don't love you back. Don't have two gods, Jesus says, because one will enslave you. And that won't be God, he'll free you. So, said Jesus, relax about the stuff. You don't have to be anxious, He's got your back, he knows what you need before you ask him, so seek first the kingdom of God. You already know the challenges, Jesus says in chapter 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. So enter the narrow gate. Just because you're on a journey doesn't mean you're on the right journey. The journey itself is not, you know, congratulations. You're on a journey. You know, pat yourself on the back. Jesus says, uh, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many find it. But narrow is the road that seeks that seek this, that to, the, uh, to the gate. And watch out for false prophets. Just because someone speaks for God doesn't mean they're right. Test the spirits. Don't think that doing great things for God means you're in. Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the one who does the will of my Father, great things or not, profit or not, you see. The one who's building on the foundation of rock. Jesus wanted this, not so you could earn your way into his kingdom. Listen to Rob's message but rather so that you would follow the king. Four truths, two things to do, and one saviour. There's an old hymn that goes like this. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. He is the rock. We have one saviour, and through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. You get a clue in the text itself that Jesus is more than a Moses here telling a people what to do, how to live. And it's not just that Jesus is saying something different, namely it's your heart that counts, not just observance. Actually, Moses said that, choose life. But it's more than that. 
Jesus went up a mountainside like Moses, but he came down the mountain in chapter 8, verse 1, and what happens next is important. Do you, do you know what happens next? Chapter 8, verse 2, he heals a man with leprosy. He's come to heal us. See, he's not just a teacher, but he is a redeemer. Look at chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things is a set of words that exist at least four more times in Matthew's Gospel. I'll give them to you. 11 verse 1, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there. Chapter 13 verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Chapter 19 verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying these things, and in chapter 26 Verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all these things. Jesus loved to teach, he loved to speak, but there was a point where he stopped teaching. There was a point where he stopped speaking. At the end of the story, at the end of Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, Jesus remains silent, standing in front of an enemy, really, uh, the high priest at the time. And Pilate as well, loving them. Struck by Roman guards, he turned the other cheek. He practiced what he preached. But as he was being accused, wrongly, of of, uh, threatening to tear down the house, the temple, the high priest stood up and said to Jesus in Matthew 26, verse 62, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony, all these words? that these men are bringing against you. But we read, but Jesus remained silent. But Jesus remained silent. I take the words of Jesus very seriously, but I love the silence of Jesus. What do I learn in that silence? I learned that Jesus went to that cross For me, he's my redeemer. So I will take him seriously as I follow him. Hearing, yes, intentional, listening, pressing into the gospel, thirsty for more, hearing, yes, doing, yes. Looking at those moments when I disobey and taking them seriously. I love what the alcoholics say to, we need to take a searching and fearless moral inventory of our lives, of our hearts asking in community how I I can obey obey my Saviour, my Lord. But in the end, ultimately, it's trusting. I have a Saviour. His name is Jesus Christ, and through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. Let's pray. Father, we stand here tonight, we sit here tonight and ask Jesus to do a mighty work in and through our hearts to cause us to stand and follow, to face the right direction towards Jesus Christ and to take the first step. You that intend to lead a new life, from tonight, following the commandments of God. 
walking from henceforth in Christ's holy ways. We want that for ourselves. And as we take the second and third step and walk with him throughout our life, we recognise that a lot of these challenges of Jesus Christ remain an ongoing challenge. But we want to be not defensive, not recalcitrant, but listening and learning and growing. And we want your spirit to be alive in our life, in community, as we openly and honestly face our own sins and failures and keep coming before a holy God, poor in spirit, uh, knowing that the promise to those who are poor in spirit is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We come meek even, weak, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's because we say, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground. He is firm through the fiercest drought and storm.